Aloha and welcome to the RAMGAD Pod, the Realtors Association of Maui Government Affairs Director podcast. I am your host, Jason Economou, Government Affairs Director for the Realtors Association of Maui, and I am here with my boss and Chief Staff Executive for RAM, David Ballou. Aloha, David. Aloha, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. Let's uh, get this party started again All right. with a real softball <laughs> question. What does the Chief Staff Executive of RAM do? You know, it just kind of depends on the day of the week. Uh, we have seven staff members here at RAM, so I oversee the staff making sure that our educational programming is running smoothly, making sure that everything in government affairs is doing what it needs to do, uh, making overseeing our membership. So I, I talk with members on a daily basis if they have issues or questions. My main job is really to oversee the strategic vision of the association and make sure that we are taking a look at the long-range outlook, what's coming, what's going to be happening, what we can do to keep things moving forward for the association. So I, I spend a lot of time reading, you know, I'm on Inman and I'm on several other um, real estate sites taking a look at what's happening out there. You know, I'll be going to an MLS conference here in the fall talking to people about what's, what's the future of MLS? What's that going to look like? So it's, it's a mix of making sure that the day-to-day -day is happening and that things are running smoothly and then also taking a look at the future of the organization and making sure that we are looking at the big picture. So I like to say that um, if you want people to listen to you, they need to trust you. And if you want people to trust you, they need to know you. Um, right. Now, let's take a step back from where we are now and find out a little bit more about David Ballou, the human being. <laughs> uh, where did you grow up, David? So I grew up in uh, St. Charles, Missouri, which is right across the Missouri River from St. Louis. So they're in that area of Missouri. We stayed there until I was 14 at which point my dad was transferred to the old El Paso plant down in El Paso, Texas. So I moved down there a week before high school started. So I went to high school at Coronado High School in El Paso, Texas, the pride of the West Side, the Thunderbirds, and uh, did that. Went to school at Arizona State for a couple of years, ended up back in El Paso, and then kind of Bounced in and out of El Paso for a number of years before I moved to Chicago in 1999 to work for the American Bar Association. And then I was in Chicago until November 2017 when I uh, came across the pond, came over here. So when you moved from Missouri to Texas, was that a, a good amount of culture shock for you? Really kind of incredible because uh, we lived in a very white bread community in Missouri, not much diversity going on, and then to move to El Paso, which for those of you who aren't familiar with Texas, El Paso shares the Mexican border with Juarez. And so you literally walk across the bridge to Mexico from El Paso. El Paso is majority Hispanic, majority Spanish speaking, and it was a huge change for some sheltered white kid from St. Charles. But it was fascinating and I, I loved it down there. Did you pick up Spanish? You know, enough to get me in trouble. So <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never really spoken Spanish, but w even today when I, when I visit Spanish-speaking countries, I can get the gist of a conversation and I can normally 
get through enough to make myself understood, at least for the basics. You mentioned you, you moved because your dad got a transfer uh, mm -hmm. with his plant. What, what did your parents do? What was your, your family like? My dad was a purchasing manager and ended up being a purchasing vice president for Pet Incorporated, which uh, they sold out to Pillsbury several years ago. But uh, Pet Foods was a huge food supplier. They used to do uh, evaporated milk. Pet milk was a big thing. You know, we would find Pet Whip, which was their Cool Whip version in all the stores. And they owned the old El Paso, as I said, the old El Paso Mexican foods plant. And they, they did all the, you know, tacos and beans and all kinds of stuff. So dad was a, was a purchaser. He traveled the world buying food supplies for Pet Incorporated. So the dog food company owned the plant for Old El Paso, the Mexican food company that, that like canned beans and, right. and all that jazz. Do you eat Old El Paso products? <laughs> Not so much anymore, yeah. <laughs> but uh, they were, you know, once again, since Pet sold out to Pillsbury, they've a lot of those brands have been yeah. folded into the the Pillsbury company. Yeah. So you went, um, you went to the University of Arizona first, Arizona State, Arizona Big State. Big difference, Sorry. yeah. The University of Arizona is the party is in college, Tucson, right, right. Um, so you went to Arizona State. Uh, what did you study there? I was studying vocal performance and music. And I take it uh, this is related to your long-lasting love of theater. It is. Actually, that is where I really got started doing theater. Um, we were, I had done just little church stuff growing up, but nothing, never a really full-blown show. And when I first got to Arizona State University, they were looking for men for a production of the Pirates of Penzance that they were doing. And so I jumped into that and just absolutely fell in love. And so ever since, I've been involved doing something in the theater. So uh, that, that's where it started, and it's never stopped. Do you have a guess as to how many shows and programs that you've been in? Oh, let's see. About seven years ago, I made a list, and I got to 100 at that point. <laughs> so it's probably north of 150 at this point, productions that I've done. Probably closer to 200 if I really started noting them all. Do you have a favorite role? I think the favorite thing I have ever done is playing John Jasper in a musical called The Mystery of Edwin Drood. This has been on Broadway twice. It won the Tony Award the first time around and was revived, I don't know, five or six years ago. It's based on an unfinished novel that Charles Dickens was writing when he died. And so they dramatize it all the way up to the point where Dickens stopped writing, and then the show just stops. And then they go to the audience, and the audience votes on who they think the murderer was. The audience votes on who they think the mysterious detective that Dickens has running around in disguise in the play. And of course, being it's a musical, they decide on which of the two characters they've met should end up being the love interest for the show. And then the last third of the show, uh, they the script provides you with I think 37 different endings for the show, depending on what the audience selects. And so each character has to know their confession song and their love song and their detective song, just in case they're the ones elected that night. That's incredible. It's fascinating. Yeah. 
37 different endings. Now, when you're in a show like that, do you have like a favorite ending that you're rooting for that you really hope the audience goes for? I do. Uh, the good news for Jasper was, because he's the villain of the piece anyway, the, he gets to do a confession every night because that's, it's the obvious answer. And so Jasper gets to sing his big dramatic confession every night, and then right as I finish up, whichever character is playing the detective charges on and says, no, that's not what really happened. <laughs> and then you, then you get the multiple endings happening from there, depending on kinda who the like, audience is elected. Uh, kind of like Clue with Tim Curry. It is, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but there were certainly, because of, of, you have seven actors who could be the detective, seven actors who could be the murderer, and then any combination of people could be the, the love interest. Uh, and so it was, there were a couple of the confessions I found a lot funnier than some of the others. And just the more unexpected, the, the better, as far as I was concerned, because they, their confession song has their motivation. And I think some of the motivations got really funny for some of the characters that w really had no business committing this murder. So. And, and so it was that college experience that really drove you into a love of theater. It was, yeah. Just had some really passionate professors in the musical theater program at Arizona State. Um, you know, I, I only went there for two years for a number of reasons, but wow, the, the, the level of instruction and just the, the way that they instilled that love of theater in, in the students was truly amazing. After Arizona State, you went to University of Texas? At El Paso. At El UTEP, Paso. yes. How was that experience for you? It was, you know, UTEP was much more home after having been in El Paso for high school. So a lot of my friends were going there. I, you know, I, I knew the city really well. Um, so it was, it, it was a good environment. The music program there was pretty solid for a, you know, a smaller state university, you know, kind of off in the corner of Texas down there. So, uh, so it was a good experience. Yeah. Did you continue to study music? Music, yes. Um, you also got a degree in information technology? Is yeah, that right? when, I, when I moved to, um, I supported myself as an actor for a number of years and I, you know, with the music degree and I was out doing my acting thing and then through a series of weird coincidences, I ended up working help desk and this is, you know, we're talking in 1990, Seven. So this is when computers were just starting to be used every day in the workplace. And so I, I was temping for a guy and I ended up, I was supposed to go on a children's theater tour for nine months. And two weeks before the tour, they called me and said, oh, the weather in the Northeast is so bad this winter, we're canceling the tour. So I went to the guy I was temping for in El Paso and said, I, I'm stuck. I had nine months of work and now I've got nothing. Can I temp a while while I figure out what I'm doing next? And he said, only if you'll learn how to work the help desk. And I said, okay, all I've done is do data entry. I've never actually, I know nothing about how a computer works. He said, eh, you're an actor. Just act like you know what you're doing and it'll be fine. <laughs> so he uh, moved me onto the help desk. And by the end of two years, I had helped them form a brand new help desk for their accounts receivable and I was actually running that and then my boss from that job moved to Chicago to the American Bar Association to take a job up there and two months later he called me and says I need you on my help desk Do you want to move to Chicago 
And he told me how much money he was offering. And I said, yes, I will be there in two weeks. <laughs> um, and <laughs> packed up and moved to Chicago in 1999 and started working on the help desk there and advanced from help desk to help desk manager to project manager. And so I decided that if I wanted to make that next leap up to IT director, that I was going to need to go and get a degree because everything I had learned was on the job. Mm. Uh, so I went back to school. I got a degree in Bachelor of Science Information Technology from the University of Phoenix. Graduated in May of 2006. And six months later was promoted to run all of the customer support for the American Bar Association, totally out of the IT field altogether. So, you know, it's the way things work sometimes. So, but yeah, so in 2006, then I moved up and took over customer support for 400,000 members of the American Bar Association. Oh, wow. And you don't have a legal background at all. I do not. Yeah. How did you manage that? You know, it's, it, it's dealing with making sure that the staff are working on a really professional level. I had a staff of 52 in that job. So I was running the help desk, which is the, the call center for members. I was running the email support for the members. I was doing all the member billing. I was doing the member database work, you know, making sure that the addresses were clean. So all and all the data at that point, we were still doing all the data entry for the entire association into the membership system. So my job was really to be on top of my supervisors and on top of my staff to make sure that they were polite, that they were up to date on their knowledge of their areas so that they could answer the questions. And in a, you know, as a lawyer, you know that the American Bar Association is a, it's a huge organization with a lot of departments that don't necessarily communicate very well together, you know, a lot of silos. Yeah. And so one of the first things I did was start meeting with all of those different department heads and say, look, I know that you don't want us to be transferred a bunch of calls to you. The way you do that is by giving us information. So my, my challenge really wasn't with the, with the lawyers. My challenge was with making sure that the other people in the ABA were giving us the answers to questions so that we could get out there and do what we needed to do. So I went on a big campaign to go and just park in people's offices and say, you know, if we knew these things, we wouldn't have to transfer the call to you. And that started to sink in a little bit like, oh, yeah, that's great. So. Um, education, 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 just making sure that staff was really on top of what was going on. Now, after you worked for the ABA for 16 years, you said? I did. After that, uh, I read a, a bio of you. That's why yes. I'm... I've, <laughs> You've got all the information. That's why I know yeah. all this stuff already. <laughs> um, but one of the things in, in your bio that I saw was that you worked for the Alliance of Merger and Acquisition Advisors. I did. What is that? Talk about going from one extreme to the other. So the, the Alliance is a privately owned boutique association for people in the mid-market. So that was people doing transactions in the range of $5 million to about $100 million mergers. That's the mid-market. That's the mid-market, right. So we weren't doing, as they called it, Main Street, you know, the, the mom-and-pop shops that are doing, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars a year. And we weren't doing you know, AT&T or something, you know, it was, mm. it was all that stuff right there in the middle. So it, that's, that's called the mid market. 
And our members were advisors, bankers, loan officers, lawyers, anybody who worked in that mid-level range of mergers and acquisitions. So that job was trying to grow the membership. We were doing, at that point, we were, they were in the process of building chapters so that they could get people involved on a local level. So when I started, they had three chapters running. And when I left to take this job, we had just started our 18th chapter. So I, you know, I started 15 chapters or so while I was uh, with the Alliance. Uh, we did two major conferences a year, which I was in charge of. So I was doing programming and meeting planning and meal planning and signing hotel contracts for two conferences a year. We did a spring, a winter and a summer. So that was much more a hands-on job than just making sure that, you know, at, at the ABA was really working with the staff. And this was much more right in there with the members, making sure that they were getting what they needed. And while you're doing all this, you're still participating in theater. And Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> that is incredible. You just, you don't like free time, do you? No, I keep, I keep myself pretty busy. <laughs> that, okay. Um, now, I want to, to ask you a question about your personal life. Sure. Because I feel like a lot of people don't, don't necessarily know this about you. Um, do you enjoy board games? Yes, I am a strategy board gamer. I am on the board of the Train Gamers Association of America. And the TGA is, we have a couple thousand people who are members of the TGA. And we participate in three major tournaments a year. We do Origins, which takes place in Columbus, Ohio in June. Gen Con, which is one of the biggest cons in the world, which happens in Indianapolis in August. And then we do our own uh, Train Gamer National Championships, uh, which we call RailCon. And that's in October every year. So, and then I normally fly over to Chicago in March or April to participate. We, we stock, we probably have 500 games that we ship out to these conventions. And so we, we go and uh, we start the year by counting every piece, making sure every box is still complete, making sure they're all still playable and getting them all ready to start shipping around the country for our cons. How did you get involved in this? You know, we... A friend of mine showed up one night. There were four of us hanging out at my house, and he said, hey, I've got this game called Settlers of Catan. Do you want to learn how to play? I went, uh, sure. So he taught us how to play Settlers of Catan, and we ended up playing Settlers of Catan until about 6 o'clock in the morning. Um, and that turned into a weekly thing. Every Saturday night then, we were playing Settlers of Catan, and I was often walking the dog as the sun was coming up because we'd get involved in just – play and play and play and play. So uh, then he said, hey, you know, there's this great big gaming convention called Gen Con. You want to go? And it was like, sure. So the four of us packed in the car and off to Gen Con that first year. And we had just learned to play a game called Ticket to Ride. And Ticket to Ride, they had a big tournament that this group was running. And so my friend Charlie and I, we headed off to the Ticket to Ride area to play in the tournament. And happened to be run by the Train Gamers Association. And by the end of the weekend, 
we were hooked because we started looking at all the other games that people were playing and we started sitting in on teaching games to find out what these things were and I would watch people play and make a list and I went and bought a bunch of stuff after the con that I wanted to learn how to play and so we started going to these conventions and hanging out almost exclusively at the TGA area and uh, after a couple of years one of the guys came up to me and said hey do you want to get more involved do you want to start volunteering and it was like Sure. So I, I volunteered with them for a while, and then they invited me to be one of the voting members on the board. And um, this isn't totally official yet, so you know, readers, don't don't share this with all your friends. But I'm going to be the uh, volunteer coordinator for all the cons starting next year. Nice. So I'm continuing to take on more responsibility because you know I don't have enough going on in my life to uh, take on some more responsibility with the train gamers. That, the Ramgad pod, breaking the hard-hitting news. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah. a scoop everybody's <laughs> going to remember. Um, to, to stay on this, this tangent, um, what are maybe three board games that you would recommend to, to maybe the, the unfamiliar gamer? Uh, the three that I recommend people start with, if Ticket to Ride is easy to learn, the rules are not incredibly complex, but it's a lot of fun and there's a lot of different ways it plays and it plays differently every time you play it so I always start train gamers on Ticket to Ride generally Settlers of Catan because it was my gateway drug um, we I, I teach a lot of people to play that and that really kind of sucks them in and, and gets them interested and then for gaming in general there's a game called Seven Wonders which is it plays in about half an hour 40 minutes so it's but it's a lot of strategy it plays different every time but the rules aren't very difficult so because it's kind of quick and you can set somebody down and teach it and play it all within an hour i use that a lot and i've i've now got people you know i, I go to gaming groups here on maui um a couple times a month and seven wonders has become one of the games that they're like you brought seven wonders right because we want to play it again so it's that's also been a great game to introduce people to the board gaming world I, I actually got Seven Wonders. I, okay. I purchased Seven Wonders. I've only played it twice because the setup, is, it's a little bit intimidating at first because the rules do, they're fairly straightforward, but right. they seem a bit complicated. Um, but for our Christmas episode of this podcast, I think it should just be the staff here playing Seven Wonders and we could record that. There you go. It's a seven-person game, so we've got just the right number of people to make that happen. Something yeah. to look forward to for our <laughs> listeners out there. <laughs> So you were, let's get back on track. Oh, all right, all right. Um, wow, I love it. I love the board game thing. I don't even want to leave that topic. <laughs> um, so you were in Chicago. You worked for the ABA. You worked for the Alliance of Merger and Acquisition Advisors. Then somehow you ended up in Maui. How did you end up on Maui? What a crazy story that was. So um, I was, I did made the decision that I was done with winter and I mm. was I decided just to start looking around to see what was out there you know maybe in Southern California maybe you know I, I'm not crazy about Florida but you know trying to figure out where I may want to go that wouldn't be quite as miserable as Chicago seven months of the year weather-wise um, and I saw the job posting on LinkedIn for this job at Realtors Association of Maui. And I looked at it and I read the job description and the job description was 
everything that I feel that I do really well. So I read that job description three or four times going, if I wrote my own job description, this is it. And I thought, I have nothing to lose. So I put together a cover letter and an application and I sent it in and I thought, well, it's the only job I'd applied for. It was the first one that I had looked at when I decided to start looking. And about a week later, I got a call from a guy from NAR because the RAM had hired a recruiter at NAR to do their all that recruiting and groundwork. So I got a call asking if I wanted to do a phone interview. I said, sure, that'll be great. So we did the phone interview. And at the end of the phone interview, he said, okay, well, I'm going to He's, I can't remember what the number of people was who had applied for the job, but it was, it was an incredible number. And he had, so he had poured through all these resumes and he had done, what, maybe 20 interviews of the people after he had narrowed it down once. And he said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to narrow this list down to um, seven, I think it was the number, and I'm going to present that list to the folks at RAM and then they're going to choose three people that they want to interview. And I said, okay, that sounds good. So he then called me later that afternoon and said, okay, I'm going to submit you to RAM. Uh, so here's, here's the information I need from you. And so I sent him some more information. A couple weeks later, um, he called me back and he said, they really like you a lot. They, they thought you were terrific on paper. They, they really liked what you may have to offer for them, but they've decided to go with three candidates from Hawaii for the job. So he said, but they just wanted, they wanted you to know that they really liked you a lot. And I said, well, that's, that's great. So I, af after that, I went out and bought a car because I, I needed a, a new car. So I, I'd kind of been waiting to see what was going to happen with this job. So I went out and I bought a car and decided, well, you know, I'll give it a little bit of time and I'll start poking around again. About two weeks later, he calls me back and he said, so they've changed their mind. They want to talk to you after all. Do you, can you do a Skype interview with them? And I said, sure. So I did a Skype interview with seven of the board members and um, we did the interview on a Thursday. So I did the Skype interview on Thursday and I sat down Friday night to write thank you notes to all the people that I had talked to. So I sent an email to all seven of the people I talked to Friday night and I went to get ready for bed. I came back to turn off my computer and I already had an email back from the head of the search committee saying, so we're really interested. Can you talk to me again in the morning? And talked to her again Saturday morning. They flew me out to Maui the next week to meet with the search committee one more time. And I, I'd never been to Maui before. So they Flew me in in the morning. We did the interview. Uh, Jeannie took me around the island all afternoon Thursday. And then Marion Howler picked me up after that and took me to dinner in Paia. And they put me back on a plane Sunday morning and then called me Thursday and asked if I would like to be the new executive director at RAM. So that was how I ended up doing this. And I, two weeks later, I found a way to be sitting on Maui. So <laughs> nice. What are um, what are some of the the culture shock elements to moving here that you've you've been facing? You know, it's it's getting used to the pace of play in a lot of ways. Coming out of Chicago, where everything was hurry, 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 do it now, do it now, do it now, do it now, and then coming to a place where 
there's just not that sense of urgency in the culture. There, there can be for the realtors because there are, you know, there are deals to be made and there, you know, once again, you, you don't want to sit back and, and let something slide. But the overall feel of the island, the pace is so much slower that it's, for someone with my personality who's always charging forward, it's, excuse me, I, I've really had to learn to sit back and relax and not get quite so worked up if my timelines aren't being met on a lot of the things that happen on the island. So that, that's been one, one interesting thing. Um, really trying to learn more about the culture and have a deeper respect for the culture of the island is really important. You're seeing that with all the protests going on about the, the telescope right now, that how much of that could have been avoided if somewhere along the line somebody would have said, hold on, we need to have a conversation with some of the people who are going to be affected by this and, you know, anticipated a little more what what they were in for. And I think that as we, being in the real estate business, there are certainly areas of land here on this island that people consider to be sacred or people consider to be, you know, very important to them. And for those of us who are working in the real estate industry, I think we need to be aware of that and we need to be uh, respectful of that. So I've, I've really tried to learn a lot about how things, how things work in the culture. And I think that's really important. And then I guess the final thing would be just learning the, the politics of the island, which, you know, you're, you're really getting engulfed in right <laughs> now, but it's, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting mix of people, an interesting mix of ideas about how Maui should look in the future. And being that that's a big concern of ours here at, at RAM, we, I'm, I pay a lot of attention to that and pay attention to talking. You know, it's great getting to talk to some of the council members and getting to talk to the mayor about what their thoughts and feelings are about how things should work on the island and. Um, making sure that we are, once again, that we are involved with all of that and that we know what's happening and that we're making sure that our, our opinions and our views are heard. And so just learning how to do that in this environment has been, it's been fascinating. And it's, there are some great people involved in our county government and it's, good just to keep learning the personalities and learning what makes them tick and what, what makes them excited about coming to work every day and figuring out where the intersections are where we can really work successfully with them. Now you work for the Realtors Association. Um, previously, we, we've gone over your work history as far as working for the attorneys over at the ABA and the um, Alliance of Merger and Acquisition Advisors. Uh, you didn't have backgrounds in law or mergers and acquisitions um, and or real estate. Right. Have you found it particularly challenging to step into these roles as leadership for an association when you don't have that professional experience or does it somehow benefit you because you've been successful in these roles? Right. I think in a lot of ways it the, the benefit comes from that I really know the association world really well. And managing an association, there's, 
a lot of the things are the same across associations as far as what you need to accomplish and how you go about accomplishing that. How you learn to work with people, which is really the key to being successful. So in all of those jobs, I've learned a lot about the that particular industry as I've been, been on the job. And I think that's been important because you do need to understand what the challenges are of being a realtor on a day-to-day -day basis and what the challenges are for lawyers who are working in smaller firms as compared to larger firms. You know, at the ABA, that was a big discussion. What are, are we trying to get a few of these great big firms so we have a lot of members all at once, or do, are we really trying to provide resources to the smaller firms that don't have the things that some of those bigger firms can offer because of their size? And so getting to know the industry is important, but I think that my background as an association executive really helps right off the bat figure out how to make things run smoothly in the office. Yeah, I'm, I've had a, a similar experience because I don't have a background in real estate either. Right. Um, and, and I've actually found that beneficial on the association side. Um, and I've, I've seen it, it's very common amongst the GADs too, where they don't have a real estate background. And, and they say the same thing because it, it helps a little bit of a, um, of a removal from, from the issues being so personal. Right. And so it, it provides a bit more objectivity when addressing issues that, that affect the real estate industry where um, most of the GADs don't really panic because they're not realtors themselves. Right. So that cool-headed approach really um, is beneficial in, in that aspect of the association. So I can see that being very similar as an executive. Right. And I think sometimes in, in that same vein, that allows us as people who aren't involved in an industry every day to look around at times and say, why is that important? And sometimes people are able to jump right in and say, oh, here's why it's important. Other times you get this dead silence and they look around and go, well, because it's always been important? It's like, okay, that doesn't mean that it's still important today. So you know, I think being able to come in and ask those questions and take a look at things with a, with a fresh eye can be really invaluable to the association. Absolutely. That's such a good point. I have a smile on my face from ear to ear. <laughs> I didn't want to cut you off, but that is, that's a really valuable point. You need that, that disconnection from the profession a little bit to really examine the goals that we have as an association and, and what our purpose is and what we're doing. Right. Um, you know, regarding purpose, what do you think the role of the Realtors Association is when it comes to county policy or county politics? Our, our stated goal is to make sure that we are representing the rights of private property owners on Maui. That's, that's our elevator speech when anybody asks, you know, what, what's important to us. For me, what that means is that we need to really be talking to the county when any time something is coming up that could limit the rights of a property owner. You know, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about short-term rentals. We've spent a lot of time talking about some of these other things. And those are important conversations to continue to have. But I think that our, our role is to advocate. Our role is to be a little more proactive, I think, instead of reactive all the time in making policy. I, I, what I would really like to see us doing, and I know you've been starting this process, and you know Lawrence was starting that as well, is to really get in and 
suggest policy to, to our lawmakers and say, hey, here's something that would really be great. Can we work together and get this written out? So I would like to see us move from a really reactive position to a much more proactive position where we can go and advocate for something right from the start so that we're not then reacting later on to what the council members are considering. Mm. From your personal perspective, it doesn't have to be limited to, to the world of real estate. Sure. Um, are there any issues facing Maui County that, that particularly concern you um, or, or any ideals or hopes that you have for the county moving forward? The, the biggest concern I have for the county is looking at our stats and seeing the home prices and the condo prices just going through the roof at this point. I mean, the, our condo prices were the highest they've been since 20, 2005, I believe, in our reports. And then our single-family home prices are higher than they've ever been. Um, and you're dealing in an economy where a lot of the people who live on Maui are working somewhere in the service industry. They are cleaning hotel rooms. They are working in the kitchens at some of these big, um, big ballrooms. You know, they are parking cars at the, the, resor the resorts. So we have a lot of the population who just absolutely cannot afford a $800,000 median home. And that's, that is my biggest concern for Maui going forward, is how do we work to get our inventory to the point where it's at least somewhat affordable to the average worker here on Maui? And that is a question with no easy answers. Mm. And it's not something that we're going to solve tomorrow. I don't have the, the magic bullet that I send you in to talk to Kelly King tomorrow and say, here, this solves all of our problems. Um, it's a long-term fix. And long-term fixes are hard with a council that changes every two years, mm. which is another oddity on, on Maui that every seat on the council is up every two years. So I think we have a lot of work to do, and we're going to have to get some commitment from not only from our council members, but also from some of the coalitions that make up politics in Maui that, on Maui, that bring more people into that fold to really start talking about the long-term fixes for this housing crisis is really what it is at this point. Mm. Well, some good news for you. There is consideration of uh, increasing the term length. So okay. moving terms uh, from two years to four years. Right. You know, I don't know how far along in consideration that is. I, I don't know uh, when we might expect any sort of action on that. Right. But I do know that a lot of people have, have a similar concern um, that the county council terms are, are too short, and especially with what you point out, which is all of them coming up at the same time. Right. Well, then you get a situation like we had with our, our last election where, is it five or six of the council members were brand new to the council, or at least new to this council, because we did have a couple of folks coming back after yeah. a few years away. But 
there is a learning curve to any new job, you know, be it you know, chief staff executive at RAM, government affairs director at RAM, county council member. You know, there's, there's an amount of time it takes to figure out how you can get anything done. And that's magnified when you're in the spotlight of the county council, where mm -hmm. everything you do and say could be on Maui now a couple hours after you do or say it. So there's some hesitation not to do anything wrong when you're first starting out. So, you know, we're a year into the term, you're just finally starting to get to the point where you feel that you can be constructive in the job. And then three months later, you're starting to run for re-election. So we're, there's just not enough time to gear people up when we have a big turnover like we did in the last election. And it's amplified by the fact that the first activity that the county council members take is the budget process. I mean, that's, right. that's within just a few months of, uh, of when they take office. So it's incredible. It's, it really is. It is. I, I, once again, I, I, I respect what it takes to do that job and the learning curve that goes with it. Because when you start looking at all the questions that those folks are asked and all the things they're asked to consider, there's just a lot to learn. It's a huge learning curve. Yeah. Now, you, you're in charge of the Realtors Association. What are your concerns or goals for the association uh, or our community of realtors here on Maui? So we're always looking to increase the professionalism. Uh, we recently, uh, a high school diploma is now, or a equivalent GED, is now required to get your real estate license. And I think it would come as a surprise to a lot of people that that was not required before. So I thought that was a really good step that was just taken uh, over the last couple of months. And there's a commitment to excellence program that the National Association of Realtors is running right now. And I'm really hoping that we can find programs to get more of our realtors involved in that program just to keep um, increasing their skills, increasing their knowledge level, increasing the level of professionalism we show on the island. Uh, so that that's one of the things I'm looking at. The other thing that we all have to be aware of is that life is happening online more and more and more. So when I look at all the CE courses that we offer live here in the building, there are certainly people who are going to want that live interaction in a class. As the association gets younger, there are going to be more and more people who don't want to do that. They want to sit down at their computer and click and do their continuing education. So we're, we're going to have to take a long look at how we start offering distance learning in our continuing education so that we can continue to be successful presenting our programs. And then once again, looking at the future of the MLS because there's a lot of competition from all of these different national real, you know, real estate sites that are now competing really with local businesses on the real estate end. And so we're, we have to take a long look at how we can continue to be competitive and how we help our members have a step up as local real estate agents when they're competing with some of these big national um, websites that are kind of coming in and trying to take over some of these, some of the real estate transactions. Are you concerned about these big national websites at all or? To some degree, you know, I think 
we get really comfortable on Maui at times where people say, oh, we're so different than anybody else. You need a local realtor to really understand all of the in in intricacies of how we operate. And while I think that's true to some extent, there are still going to be people sitting on the mainland going, wait, this gigantic website is only going to take a 1.5% commission? I'm going to go with them. And, uh, there's, there's just going to be a, a financial decision made without taking into consideration a lot of the things that a local real estate agent may be able to do for you. And so we, we have to be aware of that. We have to know that's going on, and we have to keep an eye on the business models for some of those companies and how they are handling virtual sales. So yeah, I'm, I am concerned about that, and I want to make sure that we're keeping an eye on it and know how we can continue to help our realtors keep their share of the market. Mm. What's your favorite part of the job? Wow, um, there's just there are a lot of things in this job I really like a lot. Um, the The thing that we deal with every day is the staff in this office. We have a tremendous staff that works really hard and has a really good time together. And I love being able to be excited about coming to work every day and then getting here and having a group of people who are dedicated and excited and are really working to get the job done. And that's that's fun as, as the boss, not having to spend a lot of time cracking the whip and trying to get people re-engaged in their job. So that's that's been very exciting. I have really enjoyed getting out and meeting our realtors and learning what it is they do on, on Maui. We have regional caravans that happen three times a week. You know, we have one for upcountry, one for south, one for west, and then we have a fourth that meets once a month that does central. And those, I think, are phenomenal because I get to go out, I get to meet some of our agents, and then I get to go see some of the properties. And that's been invaluable to me to take a look at properties and say, okay, why is this property, which may be smaller than the one I just looked at, but yet it's a lot more expensive. So take a look at what are the factors that go into pricing property here on Maui? It's not something I'll ever have to do, but it is something that I should know about when, mm. when I'm talking to people about the real estate on the island. So our, those caravans that our affiliates put on every week, I think, are a great piece of the business. They've really helped me get to know people and get to know the, the, a little more of the value of the property and how, it's, how it works here on Maui. What can our members do to make your job easier? Read. Um, <laughs> RDR, you hear it all the time. Realtors don't read. Um, we send out a lot of information. And we are, one of the things that I've worked hard to do is to make sure that we are not bombarding people every day with more messages. We're really trying to consolidate the number of times we send stuff out so that when something does arrive from RAM, it's important. It's not just today's update on some of the little stuff that's going on. So a lot of the things that we send out are very important to our realtor community. And you know, there, there are changes to rules or changes to laws or 
events that are coming up that are going to be very valuable to their business. And we'll send those things out. We'll talk about them. We'll do everything we can. And then we'll start getting a bunch of phone calls going, what happened? I, I didn't know anything about that. And that, that can be really frustrating because it's like, I, I don't know what else we can do to get this word out. So I think the, the biggest thing people can do is really pay attention when we're, when we're sending things out. And the second thing they can do is if there are things going on that they feel could be improved or there are elements of what we do at RAM that they don't feel are running as smoothly as possible, let us know that because I can't fix problems I don't know about. And I, I want us to be proactive, which is why I'm looking at some of the things we can do going forward and moving things in the right direction. But if there are things that aren't working today, shoot me a note, give me a call and say, hey, this is something that I've noticed and let me, let me check it out. Because if you're thinking it and feeling it, you're probably not the only one. And so being that I'm not out in the field every day, there may be things that I just don't don't realize. And so help educate me as well. Give me a call and talk to me about what's going on. Excellent. Uh, this has been a great interview. And for everybody <laughs> listening, I got to tell you, um, David is spot on as far as the staff being one of the best parts of this job. I work in a satellite office that's closer to the county building. Um, and one of the highlights for me personally is when I get to come to the main office and see the rest of the staff and, and really enjoy the time with my coworkers. Right. Um, so, so you're doing an exceptional job of keeping up staff morale. Oh, thank I you. I tell you that. <laughs> um, I like to, to end all the interviews with the same five questions that I ask everybody. Okay. So here are my, my five questions to you. What book would you recommend? The book that just, I still think about it to this day, and I probably read it seven or eight years ago, is The Kite Runner. This is a, a book about life in Afghanistan, and it is just mind-blowingly awesome, and it's very hard to read at times with the things that have went on in that country, even though it's a work of fiction, just the, the background of what, what has gone on in that country over the last 20 years is really puts a lot of things in perspective and that that book really speaks to me and I highly recommend it to anybody whoever asks for a book recommendation and after you're done crying at the kite runner then go get good omens by uh, uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett and it's the funniest read I've ever had I've, I've never read the kite runner but good omens is an outstanding read. Yeah. So there you go. That, that's the balance. So uh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Thank you for giving yes. us something to, to decompress <laughs> a little bit as well. What is guaranteed to make you smile? Oh, wow. Um, a well-played game will always do it every time, even if I don't win. Watching people who really know what they're doing and can find creative solutions to things that come up in, in a game always makes me happy because if you can learn to problem solve that way, you're gonna be able to take that problem solving out into the world and people who know how to solve problems are people that I wanna know. <laughs> now, this isn't one of my five questions. Okay. Have you ever gotten into video games? You know, a little bit as a kid, I was, I played 
an incredible amount of Donkey Kong at the arcade back in the you know 70s and 80s, but video game systems at home, I have not. When I saw that some kid won three million dollars playing Fortnite, I think I I need to, but <laughs> I have not yet at this point. Yeah. Could, I I want to I want to see you do that because I would really be curious as to how the the skills transfer that problem solving right. ability. Um, back to to my set of questions. What goal do you have that you have not achieved yet? Boy, that's a really tough one. Um, if you need a yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to think about that one for a minute. There's because my 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 biggest career goal was to get to a point where I was the chief of staff at an organization. So RAM has fulfilled that particular career goal, which is the one that I'd really been striving for for the last 20 years. Um, personal goals, I, I am still waiting, and I think it's going to happen in two years. My friend and I are now talking about it. I really want to climb up and see Machu Picchu, which is something that has been on my bucket list forever, and I think we're finally going to do it here in uh, 2021. That's the plan at the moment. So that would, be a, that would be a big personal thing to knock off the list. That's actually one of my personal goals as well. So I'm going to need to get just all of the information. Okay, yeah. <laughs> just all of the planning, and I'm just going to copy that. What is something that you recently learned? That I recently learned. Um, boy, you have really good questions. That put, need some thought. See, the fun of it is, it is. seeing people squirm. Right, trying, just sitting trying here trying to trying to, to, trying to go through all the different things that that happen every day. I am. Um, um, I'll, I'll I'll buy you sure. some time. Sure. Yeah. Here. Yeah. The reason I chose this question is because I once had a job interview when I was in Uganda, and they asked me this same question: "What's something you recently learned?" And at the time, they were blown away by my answer because I had just recently learned that a group of flamingos is called a flamboyance, and so I just dropped that on them. It led to another interview. I ultimately did not get the job, um, but I, I think I came remarkably close purely because I knew what a group of flamingos was. Interesting. So the thing that I've, I've learned a lot more about this week, on Sunday I went to go see uh, Quentin Tarantino's latest film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is a masterpiece, and if you have not been there yet, go now. Just turn off your computer, go to the theater. It's that good. Um, and one of the things that goes on around that movie is the, the Manson family's activities around the edges of Los Angeles society. And Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski are two of the characters that are running around in the movie. And I knew nothing about that situation. Uh, and so I have... I have learned a lot more this week about about the Manson family and about how all of that happened in in Los Angeles in 1969. I've learned where all those people are today 
and in my bag for my flight tomorrow is Helter Skelter. Oh. So I have, the movie has spurred me to really dig and learn more about a counterculture that um, was allowed to flourish in the United States. And it's really put me thinking about a lot of the gun violence and other things that go on in society today that we just kind of, you know, there was a mass shooting Sunday that got a collective shrug from the country because we've we've just become so used to it that it it was on page three of the Maui News. It doesn't even make the front page anymore. We're just it's the way it is. And I'm going back and learning a lot more about how this kind of violence persisted in the country. 50 years ago and how that may tie into what's going on today. Yeah, that was a, a really exceptional movie. I saw it on Saturday and uh, it's it's not it's still not my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie, but I could tell that that it was an incredible movie. Even yes. though I walked away from it, you know, feeling a little bit confused to tell you the truth, um, but I still just couldn't take my eyes away from that film. I I absolutely agree. Recommend that movie. Um, this is going to spur an, an offshoot podcast where we just review <laughs> films. It'll be great. We, we could definitely do that as well. But you know, just I've, as I've told a lot of friends, you just forget what a good, solid actor Brad Pitt is. Yeah. Because he's he spent his career being this sex symbol, and that's what people want to talk about. He's had some performances that are just so real and so honest, and this. I think may have topped them all for me, for him mm. personally. I just thought that the the work that he did in that role and the things that you see on his face without him really having an incredible amount of dialogue is kind of special. Yeah, he. Um, my personal favorite Brad Pitt performance is a movie called Fury. Um, mm, okay, and it is brutal. If if you have younger family members or anybody who's sensitive, I do not recommend watching this movie <laughs> with them. It is a brutal film, um, but Brad Pitt is great in it, and it's it's really an incredible movie. Okay, so uh, that's my recommendation. And I have one more question for you. All right, and then we'll go off the air <laughs> and we'll talk about movies some more. Um, what one piece of advice would you give to anyone listening? When you want to be honest with someone, do it face to face. I think in our society, we've become so used to Facebooking and emailing and you just lose so much of the context. And I, I think a lot of the disagreements that people have in this day and age is because that people don't really understand what you're trying to get across. And the way to go around that is to stop putting it on the computer and start picking up the phone and saying, hey, let's go have coffee. So my biggest piece of advice is get out from in front of the computer and go talk to the people that you need to talk to. Excellent advice. All right, well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your openness and your honesty with your answers. I really appreciate well, thank it. Thank you, this was fun, yeah. And um, yeah, when I have a gap in guests and I, I need to record an interview with somebody soon, 
Um, I'm going to force you to sit down with me again. It's going to be great. Right. We'll either play games or go to movies. One way or another, it will all work. Nice. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. Take care. Love you. Bye.